If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! You could argue that I I got my start at Nemours, uh, working on the estate. I was helping uh, to pay my way through college. I worked there for two summers on the grounds crew. I I didn't do anything significant. (laughs) The worst experience that summer was I ran over a hornet's nest with my lawnmower and needed uh, some critical health care from the the hospital there at the time. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Nemours Champions for Children COVID-19 podcast for February 4th, 2021. I'm Carol Vassar, and that was John Carney sharing his personal Nemours story from when he was an associate doing summer work on the grounds of the Nemours estate in Wilmington in the mid-1970s. Since that time, the Delaware native graduated college, Dartmouth, and moved into the world of politics, serving as a commissioner in Newcastle County, an aide to then-Senator, now President, Joe Biden, as the lone congressman from the first state and as lieutenant governor. Today, he is the 74th governor of the state of Delaware and joins us to talk all things COVID-19, the state's response, the vaccine rollout, the effect of the pandemic on health care and other frontline workers, and what pandemic-related issues keep him up at night as year one of the pandemic comes to a close. Host Dr. Jay Greenspan is joined this week by Nemours Chief Wellness Officer Dr. Maureen Leffler, who begins today's conversation with Governor John Carney. It's really nice to meet you, Governor. Um, thanks so much for joining us. It's really an honor. So my role is at the, at the organization is that of Chief uh, Wellness Officer, and I do do a lot of worrying. Um, my job is to promote the well-being of our associates. And so what we've learned nationally Uh, internationally throughout the past year is the incredible impact that this pandemic has had on frontline workers in terms of um, just fatigue, anxiety, stress, fear. And we've seen really poor outcomes for some healthcare providers uh, across the board in terms of anxiety, depression, and even suicide. And, you know, when we were preparing for this podcast, I was thinking, I wonder what your experience has been like and how you and your staff are holding up in terms of really leading um, our state through this unbelievable time. And so I'd love to hear a little bit from you about that. Yeah, so this is a really important and and difficult uh, problem, as you know, and particularly, you know, it's been stressful for us, but I worry, if you will, about those frontline workers that you talked about. I worry about uh, teachers who are afraid of being in classrooms with their children, even though we know that it's among the safest place to be. I worry about uh, family members who can't see their dying parents, can't visit uh, their elderly uh, grandparents and parents who are in nursing homes. You know, I worry about all those, the stress and the trauma that so many of those frontline workers and just normal citizens are experiencing. You know, I try to keep focused on the decisions that we have to make, and they're not decisions that I make individually as uh, suggested by uh, your, your comments, and I appreciate those. It's really a process, one that, that's very uniquely Delaware, in my view, and that is of getting people 
the expertise on the phone or in the room. Obviously, with COVID, it's more <laughs> on the Zoom or, or on the phone. And just sorting out uh, the best advice, the best science, the best logistical advice, the best operational advice, and calling on all our partners to, to do their share. I worry about the stress that their frontline workers are experiencing. And, you know, I was on the phone just before we got together this afternoon talking to a legislator who was worried about those those effects and trying to balance those off with the shutdown orders and the protective mitigation efforts that we've put in place as part of the state of emergency. And it really is trying to strike that right balance, right? Because treating the patient, you could kill the patient, right? And then that's whether it's the economy, whether it's the workers in the economy or what. And so striking that balance between protective measures, shutdowns, quarantines, all of that, and the balance between having some amount of our economy moving, people circulating safely, I think is important in reducing and lowering and addressing the stress that we're all under. I do see more and more indicators of compliance and people settling in, whether it's wearing a mask, keeping distant, being careful when circulating. Certainly people let their guard down. Just the number of tests that we're doing. We don't require people to test. Our goal was to do 80,000 a month. When we went into the, the, he had this outbreak after Thanksgiving and the December holidays and the new year where our cases spiked up, we were testing 200,000 a month, but it hasn't really slowed down just a little bit. That tells me that people are engaged. That tells me that people are focused and they're concerned and that things like that and the vaccine coming provide some level of comfort uh, with respect to the kind of stress you're talking about. But it's a big, big concern, particularly when we know that the things that we're doing to protect people could hurt their psyche from from that point of view. Well, you sound like um, you'd be equipped to be, it sounds like you are a warrior-in-chief also. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that, um, everything you just shared. How are you um, managing all of that? That's a lot. Well, for me, there, there's a flip side to this. I've had more dinners with my wife over the last 10 months than over the last 10 years. And that's not an exaggeration. My normal schedule is five to seven days a week, events at night. I'm not home with my wife having dinner. I am home with my wife every night almost uh, for dinner. That's an that's a incredible change. So that that is helpful. Physical activity exercise is the way I've always gotten my, I, I, um, my wife bought me last Christmas a membership to Porky Oliver's and uh, through the spring, I didn't have anything to do at night. So by five, six o'clock, I was out on the golf course, hitting the ball around, getting that fresh air, getting the walk in. I borrowed uh, a stationary bike from one of my staff members who wasn't using it. Uh, that's how I've man- managed stress, making sure I get a workout every day or uh, walk around. I, I walk on the golf course and hit the ball not very well. That's that's actually not a, a stress reducer for me. <laughs> but um, that's how I've been able to manage fresh air and, and dinner with my wife. Um, the vaccine has been a ray of hope, but I want to move a little bit to that. I saw uh, today that the state's actually done very well compared to national benchmarks in terms of rolling out 
the vaccine. Any surprises that you've seen in our ability to do that? I think the biggest problem, the biggest challenge is we haven't gotten consistent advice or direction from the federal level. We don't get enough vaccine. That's not necessarily something they can control, right? That's a production problem in the private sector. Uh, I would hope that we'd be able to get better predictability, though, from week to week. Up until just last week, we wouldn't know until the Wednesday or Thursday of the week before what our supply was for the next week. Really hard to put in place uh, a distribution vaccination system with that little lead time. Now the new administration is giving us a guarantee of some amount over a three-week period of time. And that amount is greater. Initially, more than half, 60% or more of the doses we received went to the hospitals for their frontline uh, workers, which was a great help. They were a little slow in processing it, right? For some understandable reason. They were a little hesitant, not not all, in vaccinating their folks over the holidays for fear that they would be sick for a day or two and not able to come to work. By the same token, the employees were a little hesitant to get vaccinated because they were afraid of being down for a day or two during the celebrations over the holidays. So that moved slower than than we expected. Our tracker was showing we had received a lot of doses, hadn't uh, administered. That's a PR problem, right? and people were getting uh, nervous. We were hearing from the White House team, they wanted to see more throughput. They wanted to push that out. And they were going to make future allocations dependent on our our performance in the past. So I probably uh, too aggressively pushed our people to move those vaccines into people's arms because I didn't want to lose an allocation in the future. In doing so, We pushed out some of the second doses under the theory that more people with a first dose and 70% protection was better than fewer people with 90% protection, but you had a whole group of people, particularly 65 and older, who were vulnerable, who weren't being vaccinated. So we made that decision. We've kind of had to back off a little bit on that because the federal governments with the new administration, they pulled back and said, No, CDC says 42 days, but we're still going with FDA's uh, 21 and 28. But the biggest challenge is that our normal mechanisms for vaccine distribution, pharmacies, primary care, uh, hospitals to a lesser extent, bigger extent for this project, but not on a normal flu basis, we're not achieving the equity uh, objectives that is really important for us. This is a public good. It's provided by the companies purchased by the federal government, distributed to the states. We have an obligation, a responsibility to make sure the distribution is equitable, meaning that it's available to all populations, rich, poor, black, brown, whatever, And that's been a challenge because our less educated, more vulnerable populations, as we've moved into so-called 1Bs, 65 and older, are more difficult to reach. That's our number one challenge right now. We've developed a system of partners that I believe will be, on a performance-based perspective, a challenge to getting 
getting that, uh, that kind of distribution that's necessary. So just to give you an idea, first of all, it'd be easy if our state wasn't as diverse as it is, because people would register and we'd send them to our partners and they would get the result of that. West Virginia and Alaska have done the best in terms of uh, distribution. They only have minority po- 5% minority populations. The African-American population in our state is about 23, 24%. Hispanic population is another 8 to 10%. So you're talking about 30% of our population, which is diverse. We've learned that you can't just open a vaccination clinic to the public because it will quickly be overrun as as all the 65 and older want to get vaccinated. And so you have to have an appointment system. We have over 100,000 people signed up in our system, but it doesn't represent the diversity of our state. So we can't just use that list and prioritize within the list. We've done some of that just to give some hope uh, to people. If you sign up on the list, your number will come up. But only about 5% or 6% of that list uh, represents populations of color. So that's that's not going to work. We need to combine that with our allocation to pharmacies in the ge- geographic areas where they're located, the hospital systems with specific targeted efforts, working with community organizations, much like we did with testing, working with uh, La Red, uh, working with First Aid Community Action, working with BB Hospital, working with our partners in Sussex County to get out to those uh, Latino and Haitian Creole uh, populations in Georgetown and Seaford. Yeah. um, One thing, there's many silver linings of COVID through this disastrous year. Uh, one of them has been our relationship with with you, the the, the Moore's relationship, but all the hospitals, I think, have gotten closer together because you've driven that through your communication platform of, you know, once a week, twice a week calls. Do you, still, do you see silver linings in how we've come together as a community to, to combat this that might be long lasting? I do. I, I see silver lining in this challenge that we're just talking about with respect to, to diversity and equity. And uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has laid bare some of those inequities. And I think in doing so uh, has gotten all of our attention that we need to work on our systems for serving every community, every citizen of our state. That's my obligation as governor. That should be all of our obligations as a healthcare system. And I, I believe with every bone in my body that all the hospital administrators, uh, all the staff uh, believe in that as, a, as an objective for all of us. We're not achieving it right now. And this vaccination uh, exercise is a test of that. And I'm sure we're going to meet that test. I think uh, telehealth, hugely important during uh, the pandemic, could be a tremendous tool for us in years to come. Uh, I think limitations with what staff can do and can't do, the different roles of the hospitals. You know, Nemours is a different kind of a hospital in in that its focus is on children, which aren't as affected by this particular pandemic. But you've been big for us with respect to an alternative care site that we needed to stand up. You were right there to help us do that. Lots of other things as well. Same thing with some of the hospitals in the lower part of our state. Yeah, I think we've learned a lot. And I think uh, we've also learned, and the hospitals have always known this, it's hard to implement it given your main missions of 
treatment of patients in significant uh, situations, but just the the preventive issues and the public health kinds of uh, of implications. You all have lots of good people, lots of smart people, lots of resources to be able to put to so many of these uh, problems. And the other thing that that's been reinforced is how special it is to to live and work and, and in my case, be an elected official in our state where you can get every hospital uh, leader on the phone once a week and you can have, you know, really serious nose-to-nose conversations about how we're going to do this and know that they're, that we're all, at the end of the day, are going to put our egos behind, leave them at the door and, and get the job done. That, that's been reinforced through all of this for me. It, it's special. I learned that in Congress in a big way, seeing my colleagues that come from other states. And of course, I represent just one one district, the whole state of Delaware. It made it a lot easier. Uh, but we we are special here. Uh, I had one, um, yeah, I have one more question for you. And it's really, um, it sounds like um, right now your focus is thinking about getting mass vaccinations rolling and doing that in a really equitable way. Is there anything else when you start kind of looking down the road or peering around the corner, anything else that you're that's keeping you up at night? I'm very worried about our kids, our children. They've lost uh, some significant amount of learning over the last year now. You never get that back. It's it's a focus of mine in terms of, you know, my job at some time <laughs> often is to push, <laughs> to push our people to assess what kind of progress wasn't made by children at various grades. Where are we with third grade reading, which is proficiency, which is a goal of ours anyway, and what can we do to address uh, those shortfalls? And some of these mental health issues, some of these stress issues, which by the way, affect uh, that learning and the effect of, of all of that on on the broader population beyond the children. But, but children really worries me just because I don't know what we w- would do, what we'll do with uh, losing that much time for in, uh, an in-person instruction. As a parent, I appreciate hearing that that's on your mind as well. And I, I believe our associates will be really grateful to know that our leadership is worried about things that we are also. And from my pediatric perspective, you know, I do lean back on the experience and knowledge that our, our kids are really pretty resilient. They really are. So I've seen them recover. I know we can get them there again. And I agree with you 100%. The kids are way more adaptable than we give them credit for. And here's a perfect example. So the biggest debates and concerns that we had throughout were decisions to close the schools down in the spring, reopen them in the fall, and then kind of close them down again when we, when we experienced you know, the surge uh, around the holidays. And Back when we were reopening them, you know, obviously the the number one recommendation is everybody's got to be masked up. Well, we heard from all these adults how the children weren't going to wear masks. They weren't going to do this. And I can remember driving down the street on my way into work one day and and a school bus drives by. And I looked over at the school bus every kid. And there's there's very little supervision in a school bus. But all these children had their masks on. And then I go in to visit the schools. The kids are fine with masks. It's the, pro- it's the adults that have the, the problems with adaptation. 
there's a great little piece uh, if you haven't looked at, and I'm not steering you towards my inauguration video, but one of the things we did for the inauguration video, we had a, you know, very, you know, there were five people there for the swearing in. And then we had interviews with different sectors, lots of healthcare workers we talked about, thank them for the sacrifices that they made. Uh, the Lieutenant Governor and I were speaking in the background, but they had an interview with a young adult look like with a significant physical disability, very visible. And he said something like, those of us with disabilities have been learning how to adapt to life like it's what we do. The, the pandemic has just meant that all the rest of you <laughs> have had to adapt to a different way. Of, you have to look at it. It is just right on point and couldn't have been said any better uh, by any, by somebody who understands what it takes to adapt. Well, Governor, this has been fantastic. And on behalf of Carol and Mo and myself, we really appreciate your time. Any final words of advice you want to end this with? Well, this is my la last uh, a term as governor. I might need a job after this. <laughs> Whether I have experience cutting grass over there on the... <laughs> I know how to work all the way around the gardens, you know, the sunken garden and going all the way out. So, you know, I don't know whether any ball I know is long gone, but somebody over there must remember that, that, that this, that this guy has some experience cutting grass. <laughs> uh, Governor, before we end this conversation, is there anything that you would like to say um, to the associates at Nemours? Well, first of all, I would want to thank uh, all the associates uh, of Nemours uh, and your families for everything that you've been doing really over the last year. In a, a public pandemic that none of, none of us have ever seen in our lifetime and that we haven't experienced in this country in, in over 100 years, uh, healthcare workers, hospital workers across our state, first responders, so many people have come up big in an incredible way, pitched in in every way that those of us in leadership positions have asked and, and just done incredible work. I, for one, know the work that you've done, and I'm incredibly grateful on behalf of the people of the great state of Delaware. John Carney is the governor of the state of Delaware. Many thanks to Governor Carney for joining Dr. Greenspan and Dr. Leffler on today's podcast. Next week, Dr. Mark Hudak from the University of Central Florida joins us to talk about COVID-19 in mothers and infants. Do join us. The Nemours Champions for Children podcast is created for Nemours Associates past present, and future, as well as the public at large. It's available on Nemoorsnet and the Nemours Now app, as well as Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Radio.com, Stitcher, Spotify, and your favorite smart speaker. It's free for streaming and download. Please subscribe and share it with your fellow associates. Thanks, as always, to our production team, Dr. Maureen Leffler, Dr. Jay Greenspan, Sandra Herman, Cheryl Munn, Deborah Griffin, and Peter Adebi. Special thanks today to Jonathan Starkey, Deputy Chief of Staff for Communications in the Office of Governor John Carney for all of his help. 
Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Fall River, Massachusetts. On behalf of Governor John Carney, Dr. Mo Leffler, and Dr. Jay Greenspan, I'm Carol Vassar. Thanks for listening to this COVID-19 episode of the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Until next time, please stay safe, stay well, and thank you for all you do for the children we serve. <laughs>